0: don't you ever take for granted the privilege of getting to go to church that's under attack there is a reproach that comes of being a follower of christ we in america have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture a church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with christ The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The whole business. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in political correctness one of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness preparing the christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world welcome to our mighty fortress podcast i'm your host ron miller and welcome to the show we have a much needed subject to cover today but first please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform on which you're listening to us upon. We have several social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and read. Check out our fan page on Facebook when you type in at Our Mighty Fortress. That page is growing more and more every day, and we'd love to have you. You all also take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com where we have a host of media that you can look at, articles, videos, and even our merch store to help support the work. If you feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, greatly appreciate that. You can feel free to do so through our website and the established PayPal link. If we've helped you in some way through our work, please tell us at ourmightyfortress at gmail.com. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I would like to get a deeper look into how the Christian will interact in the world's politics. I want to look at what a Christian is able to do, even in situations that may be unpleasant or downright aggressive. I want to discuss what Jesus Christ expects his people to do in the chaotic state of this nation that's in. What kind of stance should the Christian take versus the government? How should we navigate with evil rulers? Are there general or specific principles to follow when it comes to our interaction with the world's governments? We'll analyze the four types of responses of Jesus Christ when dealing with antagonists. And we're going to see what is the proper response to these different types of individuals I know this is going to be a very controversial subject, even amongst those who consider themselves Christians, but I want to take a a biblical approach and hopefully by the end, we can definitely come to some absolute conclusions with that introduction. Let's get right into this. First, there is a lot of confusion over the character of Jesus Christ and how he wants us to interact with the world. Ask the common person who claims to be an evangelical today as to who Jesus is, and you might be surprised that it's not the same picture. After your survey of all these people, you'll probably walk away with the picture that Jesus is some peace-loving, tree-hugging hippie rolling and smoking a joint. Are we commanded to love our enemies? But what does that even mean? Is there a context? Let's advance this thought a little bit further as to our interactions with the government and what Jesus expects us to do in our everyday living, especially. I do not know what you may believe about what I'm about to ask, but I want to ask a series of questions that will help us think about the grander scope of what we actually believe. What should the individual Christian's role be in government? And with that question, What would God want his people to do today in the United States of America and its constitutional republic? Should they be completely outside the government and military, taking a purely peaceful roles? Or they take part in government roles, but if so, how far do they go? Is it more than the main three branches of government, as there are bureaucracies like the CIA and NSA as well? Should Christians be there? Should a Christian be one of America's James Bond agents? Let's not use America as an example. Let's go to the extreme. What about if an individual Christian is planted in, let's say, communist China? What should he or she abide by in that sort of government, knowing that such actions of being a Christian could carry harsher penalties? If Christians were to be politically active in China and change the government peacefully, is it a sin? If Christians were to do the same in China, but instead change the government through revolution, is that a sin? These are all interesting and important questions to answer, but each can be answered in principle. To start off, Let's examine what sort of basic responses to situations that Christ was in during his ministry. The first reaction of Jesus Christ comes through calm and peaceful responses. An example of this comes in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 21, which states, quote, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him good master what shall i do that i may inherit eternal life and jesus said unto him why callest me thou good there is none good but one that is god thou knowest the commandments do not commit adultery do not kill do not steal do not bear false witness defraud not honour thy father and mother and he answered and said unto him master all of these I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Quote. Now this was Jesus' reaction with a rich young ruler The young ruler asked how he could inherit eternal life, and Jesus calmly responded with some of the Ten Commandments. Jesus did not respond with the intention of directly answering the question, but to draw out what was in the young man's heart. The ruler said that he kept all of the commandments from his childhood. Now think about that. That's impossible to do. You can't possibly keep all of God's commandments. This man had no clue what he was asking, and he saw it as some sort of wealth transfer system. He's rich, so, you know, obviously he's earned the right to go to heaven, right? That's the kind of idea. This laid the foundation for Jesus to address the young man's attachment to his wealth and thus expose his sin in the rest of the story. He told him to sell all that he has and give it to the poor take up his cross, and follow him. In the end, the young man walked away grieved because he loved his money. The entire interaction was peaceful and was quite a teachable moment for those who were watching. There were plenty of questions that came to Jesus after this. There are many situations like this with Jesus, and they all had a specific purpose. The next response of Jesus that we're going to take a look at is one that was kind, but firm. An example of this can be found in the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 14 through 17. It says, quote, And when they were come, they said unto him, Master, we know that thou art true, and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to caesar or not shall we give or shall we not give but he knowing their hypocrisy said unto them why tempt ye me bring me a penny that i might see it He brought it and he saith unto them who is this image and superscription and they say unto him caesar's and jesus answering and said unto them render to caesar the things that are caesar's and to god the things that are god's and they marveled at him." quote. In this passage of scripture, we have to notice that he addressed religious rulers with obvious authority who also tried to trick him and catch him in his words so they could accuse him. Jesus knew that the whole point was to try and lay an accusation against him using Roman power. If Jesus said that you should not give tribute unto Caesar, they would then just take it to the Romans for the judgment and try to get him arrested. He was obviously too smart for them and they marveled at his answer. There were many times that the Pharisees and those who hated Jesus they would come and try to trick him in his words. It left them in utter amazement at his responses, and really many times there was just sometimes they had nothing more else to say after that. The third response we're going to examine is when Jesus publicly blasted religious leaders in front of the crowds of people in the temple. We find this in Matthew 23, and the whole chapter is an indictment of the religious crowd who mistreated the common people. I want to highlight some of the key statements that Jesus made in this chapter. Over and over again, he repeats the statement, quote, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! He calls them fools and blind. He says that they're full of extortion. Then he says in verse 27, quote, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are filled within, full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. End quote. Now, imagine for a moment that you're the one that's in this crowd of people when Jesus said those things, especially that last part. He said to the religious rulers, you may look pretty on the outside with your religious garb like a sepulcher, but you're filled with dead men's bones. These men were not only the religious leaders of the time, but many of them had quite power and prestige. This would have been demonstrated later, when they unjustly tried Jesus Jesus in the judgment hall. Just put yourself in that scene. Can you imagine the gasp in the crowd because Jesus blasted um, these religious rulers publicly? Everybody, You you can almost hear the collective, (gasps) and everybody just looking at the Pharisees and then looking at Jesus and then looking at the Pharisees. I mean, (laughs) that kind of stuff happens today. Can you imagine during that time and in that situation? Finally, the last response of Jesus that I want to look at is when he first went into the temple after he performed his miracle in Cana. In the book of John, chapter 2, starting in verse 13, going through verse 17, it says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting, and when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep, and the oxen, and poured out the of uh, the changers' money, and overthrew the tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, and make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it is written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up." We see here that Jesus came to the temple, looked around and saw how people were just making it a marketplace. I mean, this is God's sanctuary and they're just making the marketplace. He made a scourge, AKA a very sophisticated whip and drove them all out of the temple. Hey, guess what? That means they, that he hit them. He hit them with a whip. And he dumped the changers' money tables and threw out all of the animals. Wow, that's well, that's just a violent Jesus right there. No, maybe we just have the wrong idea about what God expects us in our responses. Think about it. He dumped the money changers' tables and even threw out all of the animals. The point of this was the abuse of the house of God and that it was not to be tolerated. Notice a few key points here. He took time to make a scourge, and then he had no problem using it as well to get his point across. Another situation very similar would take place in Matthew 21, but there was no whip involved in this particular case. From these four examples, we view different ways in handling antagonists. Does this violate what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 27 when he said, quote, "Love your enemies, do good to them which hate you end quote. This part of the chapter deals with the reactions of a person when dealing with another person. The examples given demonstrate the general character of a Christian and what they should exemplify. Wrapped around these are general principles about caring for your home, your family, and your neighbors. For instance, if you see someone getting beat up by a group of men, are you just supposed to yell at that guy getting beat up? Just turn the other cheek, brother! Jesus said, turn the other cheek! (laughs) No, you're expected to step in and do the right thing and help that individual, even if that means fighting off those who are assaulting him. If a person breaks into your house and intends to cause harm to your family, Do you defend your home, or do you let the criminal have his way? What if you had the same situation, but the criminal was intent on harming you and your family because you're Christians? Does that change the response? No, you defend your home. Now, what if you're walking on the sidewalk of a busy street with your spouse, and someone coming the opposite way bumps the shoulder of your spouse? They then just turn around and curse you out and walk off. Are you expected to go and beat the tar out of them for their offense? (laughs) No, there's a difference in Jesus' expectations of us, and that's what he's talking about. The entirety of these decisions wraps around God's sense of justice and holiness, and this trickles down into every facet of our lives, actually. In First Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 it says, quote, "But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation End quote. That word conversation has shifted meaning over time, and in this context means manner of living. So be ye holy in all of your manner of living. There are plenty of personal interactions of sin with others, That can be overlooked, but there comes a point of God's justice that comes forth, and that's when you step up to the plate and you do what you have to do. Another example to provide some critical thinking, Jesus said, bless your enemies. But the man at work who hates you is stealing money from the company. But wait, Jesus said, bless your enemies, right? You won't bless him if you report him. Or, do you report him to the officials and you pray that he would turn from his wicked ways? Of course, it's the latter. That's what Jesus means. Righteousness and holiness always guide responses, especially when it comes to justice. The difference of responses can also depend upon your mission as well. Your mission at home is to defend your family. If you're a missionary in a foreign nation taking up arms may not be the best way to win people to Christ. This is this kind of idea in which, let's just say, if you're a chaplain in the U.S. military, they don't want you to be armed, but you do have armed guards for your protection in the war zone. (laughs) They do have armed guards. It's just they're not carrying. It's not that they're against violence, it's just a different approach as justice is dealt out by those with the sword the apostles that were directly called of jesus did not use the strength of the sword because their mission was to set the foundation of the church jesus did speak of the holy spirit that would come after his ascension in john chapter sixteen and verse thirteen which says howbeit the spirit of truth is come He will guide you into all truth. End quote. Once the Spirit came to dwell in believers, He is the one that guides us to all truth. This is going to be the deciding difference between a lot of decisions that we have to make. The Spirit does call for each of Jesus' responses, but it will depend upon the situation and the Spirit's leading. Is defending your home an absolute? Well, it depends on your mission. There are times in history and even in modern times where the spirit leads to lay your life down for Christ's sake to be that martyr. It does not mean we go willingly until then. Paul and the other apostles sure did not go willingly to be martyred until the spirit's leading and God's timing came forth. There is a major important point to make about this particular situation. There's a time to do everything under the sun, as King Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3. There's a time to live and a time to die. And many ask, when is it time to be martyred for the cause of Christ? And what is the proper response? I fully believe that the Holy Spirit will give you the proper response When that time comes to die. Until then, you strive to live. This is how we have seen many Christians either go to martyrdom or there are many more that fought back and God still blessed them. I could read stories upon stories of God putting His hand upon Christians that did take up arms in certain situations. This is really hard for many Christians to grasp because they lack the foundational principles in the Word of God. Everything that God tells His people to do or not to do has a perfect rhyme and reason to it. If one can't get a hold of that, then they're going to struggle with much of biblical interpretation, thus creating their own interpretation and definitely not what God intended. Like I said, King Solomon said, back in Ecclesiastes chapter three and verse one, it says, "To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under the heaven." He then goes on the list of a bunch of things that there's time for. Now, either this is true or it is not, but you can't have it both ways. In that list, there is a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war. a time of peace notice that all of them are things that happen in our lives that are choices that we have to make is this some sort of contradiction not if you see things the way that god sees them through the eyes of justice and holiness here in america we have a set of laws and standards that the people in this country have to meet if not there are police and other law enforcement branches that see that they're enforced is it wrong for a christian to call the police when somebody breaks into their car or assaults them or commits some other form of crime against them no of course not you can't be holier than now and claim that jesus was some peace-loving hippie And then, you know, you're going to have those same kind of people asking the police to protect them and enforcing the characteristics of God's justice and holiness. It's just a blatant contradiction. It's either according to God's justice and holiness, thus making it right, or it's not. This means that being not so nice or even bringing the sword is sometimes justified. Not all the time, but sometimes. This is important to grasp, as it also makes the difference when you're in foreign countries when you have to abide by their laws. America's laws were originally founded by Judeo-Christian principles, but in other countries, they don't have that kind of foundation. If you're in communist China, and you're directed by the law to turn someone in for holding church in their house, does God expect you to keep that? No. But why? Book of Acts, chapter 5, and verse 29 says, quote, we must obey God rather than men. End quote. God's laws are supreme and they're above man's laws. Even in America, where the foundation of Christian morality is just eroding, do we obey and follow the abortion laws? No, because it breaks God's laws. Killing another human being is surely a part of executing justice upon wrongdoers, but it is not to be used as some sort of convenience as seen with the murder of children inside the womb. Now what if the government is the antagonist? The picture that Jesus gives in his parables is that we're to occupy until he comes. That means that sometimes Christians are going to be in government, so what, are going to, what is going to be our proper response? We're to make a difference in this world by spreading the light of the gospel. But if in government, you're also expected to uphold God's sense of holiness and justice. Jesus did not need to put a thou shalt or thou shalt not uh, upon this type of concept because it's already implied in the foundation of God's law. If you're in the military and you're in war, I mean, is the war righteous? If the war is righteous, you still have rules and guidelines that you have to follow. Do you kill innocent people in a war? No of course not. you have you follow even if even if that military, whatever country's military it is said that it's okay to do that, it's not okay for you to do that because you're a Christian and you follow God's laws. Now, I mean you can make the case that well, what if the war in its entirety is unrighteous? And there's you know people who debate that about the middle you know, the wars in the Middle East the last twenty years. But let's bring this a little closer to home. I mean, this also goes for any of the bureaucracies or government agencies that you can work for. Is it a sin before God to say maybe be a US counterintelligence agent working to protect the nation? Well, It would depend on the nation you're going to be working for, obviously. But let's just say you're a part of the U.S. Well, what are they asking you to do? It would definitely be very hard to toe that very thin line of morality at times. And given the way that our government is going, it almost seems kind of impossible. I mean, does your life include a life of lies? You're going to have a hard time justifying that. That is a hard stumbling block to overcome. And it'll twist your heart and your mind. Using American agencies as an example, I mean, this could go for the FBI, the NSA, the CIA, and many other agencies not publicly known. Not publicly known? Yeah, there's plenty of other, you know, government agencies that, you know, are considered paramilitary that you don't really hear about. <laughs> I used to work with some of these in Afghanistan, and it seems like the the paramilitary is growing more and more. They talk about military leave in Afghanistan. They don't tell you about the civilian contractors that are still there. I know it's shady, but it is what it is. But what if you're asked to do things that are ethically wrong before God, but not your supervisors, but God? The answer then becomes clear as you need to start to find a new job. Or if you're looking to pursue that avenue, start to realize that maybe this is not something that God would have me do. Now, saying all of this, you probably are already thinking, well, what are we going to do with a tyrannical government? That's kind of the conversation that's going on today. Well, let's start with the extreme and see if what you're going to do, you know, if you're in a communist nation, should you be politically active and seek positive change as aligned with God's justice and holiness? Yes. Peaceful solutions are always preferred than violent ones. But remember Solomon's wisdom back in Ecclesiastes 3. There is a time for everything under the sun, and that also includes war. What about our constitutional republic here in America that's utterly falling apart? The individual Christian is to occupy until Christ comes, and that means you are to stand up for righteousness. You are to stand up for holiness. And you are to stand up for justice. There's a very fine line, much like there was a line between Jesus' responses. He ultimately had a purpose for which he came, and that wasn't, you know, to make the world right, but to die for man's sins. But when he comes the second time, that's when the sword of God is going to come for sure. But wait, I thought Jesus was a peace-loving, tree-hugging hippie, according to these false Christians. no. We have to know the scriptures and not what is common thought and what culture teaches. We should be very politically active in this nation and in any other nation in which you're allowed. Even if the nation doesn't allow you to be politically active, try to find ways to make positive changes until it is. Christian, how can you complain about the evil that's taking place around you? but you won't lift a finger to stop it or change it. What if revolution comes to make that change? Remember the foundation. We're to spread the gospel and to see people saved. But it doesn't mean that we neglect our other godly duties of government. We're to exercise holiness and justice. This means that there are those who will side with the banner of Satan and you're going to have to stand up against that and put up righteousness to be established. You're going to have to fight against evil. Is a you know is a revolution that involves fighting always needed. No, of course not. But we must have a right view of God and what he intends for his people. Look, when Jesus gave the great commission in Matthew 28, that didn't mean that Jesus told men to abdicate their other duties and responsibilities. They walk hand in hand with each other. Evangelicals today have turned into a, just a host of wishy-washy cowards that don't worship the Jesus of the Bible. They have conformed him to some other image that reflects what they want him to be and not what the scripture says he is. That same Jesus, who gave a calm response, also gave a heated and public response insulting and blasting wicked people in the temple now think about that that same jesus saw no problem making a scourge and whipping people out of the temple while flipping tables what is the common denominator holiness and justice jesus would not be able to preach in most churches today and the congregations would correct christ and tell him to be more jesus like Which is funny, but unfortunately it's true. Our country is becoming more and more conformed to the Antichrist. And you're going to have to be able to figure out where where you stand, especially when the sword starts to fall upon the land. Don't be that holier-than-thou hypocrite that says, well, I'm not going to take up arms. But then you expect police or somebody with the sword to come protect you that always just cracks me up like don't be a hypocrite you might as, you just you might just have the wrong image of the god of the bible jesus had four different responses to antagonist and all of them were justified before a holy and righteous god remember for the christian each of the four responses is hard to tell which is correct if you're not walking in the Spirit. We must truly rely on the guiding of the Holy Spirit, and this won't be an issue. This also depends upon a person's mission and their role fulfilling that mission. Get busy in your local church now and set your house in order because America is changing. I will say this. I would be careful asking and demanding a revolution take place because... I really don't think people today are really willing to pay the price that it takes for such to happen. People who say those kinds of things really don't know what they're asking, so do be careful of that. But most importantly, don't be the one that wants to fight for justice and revolution, but you're nowhere to be found in the church house. Put God first, and He will order your steps. I want to thank you for listening. And be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content and remember to find your refuge and strength in Our Mighty Fortress.